And a high fly ball left center field. And it is off the wall. Two runs are going to score. It bounces way back over to center. Springer's getting the wave home. And it's an inside the park home run. But here, you know, now everything's on the line every day. And the big, biggest thing that I've learned is just kind of how to navigate the day because ultimately you've already played this team before you've, you've you've played in this building you know yes obviously it's not the same magnitude but you've kind of already done it before 701 on a tuesday happy tuesday everybody halford bruff sportsnet 650 halford and bruff of the morning is brought to you by the delari family of accurate dealers experience the delari difference today by visiting your nearest delari accurate dealer today we are in hour two of the program Dan Shulman, hopefully joining us in just a moment here. Play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. You heard him on the call coming back from break. He'll be on the call today when the Jays open their wildcard series in Minnesota against the Twins. It's 1.38 p.m. Pacific. First pitch. Very specific. I like being specific. This radio show is nothing if not accurate and always pronouncing things right. Uh, 1.38 is first pitch. 1 o'clock is when the coverage starts right here on Sportsnet 650. It's enveloped in between our Canucks coverage today. Uh, I should also add that uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning, Hour 2, brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is playoff time in Major League Baseball. Joining us now, the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Dan Shulman here on the Halford & Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good, thanks. I know it's game day. I know it's busy, so thanks for taking the time to do this. We we really do appreciate it. So we're looking back and forth at the series, trying to preview it, and my conclusion was that the, the Jays and Twins are two pretty evenly matched Team separated by two wins. I believe there was only 20 run differential between the two of them uh, over a 162 game season. So, given that they're you know relatively close teams in terms of makeup and record and runs, where does the advantage lie going into this series? That's a good question because I think they're incredibly evenly matched. You know, the Blue Jays have bigger names. But the Twins are good. They're they're better than they were when the Blue Jays played them in May and June. They finished the season well. Their bullpen is deeper than it was. They've got a lot more velocity down there. Um, I don't know how you separate it, to be honest with you. Like, would you take um, Bassett, Barrios, uh, or Gosman, Barrios, and Bassett? Or would you take Lopez, Gray, and Ryan? Like, right. would you take Yohan Duran, or would you take Jordan Hicks and Jordan Romano? And um so I, I think a huge key to this game is going to be how Gosman does today. As you guys may have talked about, Gosman struggled some against the Twins in his two starts this year. They were very patient. They didn't chase his splitter very much at all. Obviously, every game in a three-game series is huge, but um, I think this one is huge for the Blue Jays. I think they need it more than the Twins, to be honest with you. This is their guy. Kevin Gosman's their guy, and I'm really hoping he can go out there um, and, and have a great outing. In terms of an advantage, it, it's it's a great question. I mean, Minnesota can hit. The Blue Jays can hit. They don't always hit, you know, but if they hit to their potential, they can be uh, a very good offensive team. If there is one clear advantage, and I don't know that we'll see this in the series, I think the Blue Jays are a significantly better defensive team than Minnesota, but I don't know if that's enough to decide a series. 
Jason and I have talked about this a few times, and Jason is actually kind of borderline amazed that we don't talk about this more. The 18-game playoff losing streak for the Minnesota Twins. It's a remarkable yeah. record. It almost goes beyond baseball. Like, there's not many records in sports that span that long, that many games without a win. There's a fan that uh, did a documentary on it. It's two hours on YouTube. It's a little too long. <laughs> it needed to go into the editing room a little bit, but um, he estimated that the odds of an 18-game losing streak in the playoffs was 69 billion to one. Like it's it's remarkable. Uh, you you make the playoffs and then you lose eighteen games in a row. It's incredible. Yeah, and obviously it's over like six or seven different years and vastly different players. And it's funny. I was in the um, you know kind of the interview room when Derek Falvey, the president um, and GM of the of the Twins, came in, and literally the first question that he was asked was about that. Uh, and then the same writer asked, uh, I think it was Pablo Lopez. The first question was about that. And they said all the same things that Maple Leaf players have said about not getting into the first round of the playoffs until they got out last year. So, you know, well, that wasn't us. And, and you know, new group, new year. We don't. The players are aware of it. Uh, uh, whether they feel pressure, I don't know. Whether their fans, uh, certainly their fans have experienced it. I thought Pablo Lopez gave a great answer. He said, like, very few of us were a part of that, but we want to do this for the fans. The fans were all a part of it. And we want to end that streak for the fans. And I think that's the best answer you can give in this kind of a situation. You know, in the seventh inning of a two-to-one game, are they thinking about that in that moment? I don't think so. But they get asked questions about it every time they get to the postseason. So at some point, it's going to end. It's likely going to end this year. I'm sure they'll, you know, it's unlikely the Blue Jays would sweep them in two. I mean, the Jays haven't won a game in a while. It's not a Minnesota streak, but they got swept in two last year, got swept in two in 2020. Um, and then lost the last game of the 2016 ALCS. So they haven't won a playoff game since 2016. So on a smaller scale, like Guerrero and Bichette and Biggio, like that core, they've never won a playoff game. So it'd be nice for them to break the ice as well. I wonder if, you know, starting and then being on the road for the entirety of this series might actually in a weird way work in the Jays' favor because the pressure... There's going to be a lot of it on Minnesota, and they're going to be in front of their home fans, and they haven't won a playoff game in so long. And also, it just gives the Jays a chance to be away from Rogers Center and just get out and just play baseball and focus on that. Um, could starting on the road actually end up being a good thing for the Jays? I, I agree. I, I don't think there's any question. I mean, they had a better record on the road this year. They hit much better on the road. Um, they got booed a little bit at home. Not often, but a couple times at home because the fans were grumpy about the lack of offense. And I agree with you. I think starting on the road is a good thing. And although I, I'm not sure Minnesota was a better matchup for the Blue Jays than Tampa Bay, but that doesn't matter anymore. But I think one thing that Minnesota does have in favor uh, of it is I, I think we're going to see a few thousand folks from Manitoba here or for wherever. Sure. Saskatchewan, sure. yeah, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Ontario, wherever. Um, I, I, you know, it's not going to be like Seattle when everybody from B.C. comes down. It's not going to be 75%. Blue Jay fans, but it could be 10 to 20% Blue Jay fans. I'd love to see a few thousand Blue Jay fans. So we'll find out in a few hours. But I, I agree with you. I, I think the the chance to be away from home uh, might take away a little bit of the pressure. Hopefully they'll relax and just play to their capabilities.
So I know we're supposed to be like hyping this game up, but I'm just on the ticket site for the Minnesota Twins, and yep. there are plenty of tickets available for today, and you can get into the ballpark for like ten bucks. So I think that suggests two things: like there is an opportunity certainly for Blue Jays fans from like Winnipeg to come down. It's probably a six or a seven hour drive, come down, watch some playoff baseball, but also maybe the attitude in Minnesota towards this Twins team, like uh, 18 straight games, like why don't you guys win one and then maybe we'll come out to the ballpark. Yeah, which baffles me a little bit, to be honest with you. I mean, they're a young, fun team and, and they're, you know, they're, they're at home and they finish the season strong. I'm surprised their fans haven't rallied around it more, but maybe it is the 18-game losing streak. Maybe they're, the fans are saying, prove it to us before – we come out. I'm I'm surprised by that. I um, I would hope that if the Blue Jays were in the home field situation, that the ballpark would be sold out in Toronto. I guess we'll find out if it is if they win this series and and get back home for games three and four of a of a division series. But it does surprise me a little bit. Maybe it won't be as crazy an atmosphere as I thought it would be. I thought one of the good things for the Blue Jays would be this will be a crazy atmosphere, whereas Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay, right? And and sometimes I think these guys need a little bit of a jolt and that a playoff atmosphere might give them that. So we'll see what it's like, but it is very interesting that it's not sold out. It has seemed like the whole year that Blue Jays fans are just been waiting for this team to, like, pull it together and put it all together and show us the true talent of this team. Um, this is a question that I like to ask a lot. What's at stake here for the Blue Jays? Um, I mean, the funny thing is, like, they did win 89 games. They won 91, 92 and 91, I think, the last two years. So, um, you know, they didn't have a bad season. They just didn't have the season that was expected of them. I think when you don't hit, especially when you don't hit at home, that's when fans become really disappointed because they end up just sitting on their hands. So, there's no question there was more dissatisfaction with this team than any, you know, than the last couple of years. I, I don't know what's at stake beyond this year. I mean, whether they get knocked out in two games or win the World Series, there are going to be changes. Um, Chapman, Belt, Kiermaier, and Merrifield are all free agents, and I don't expect any of them to be back. So it's going to be a very different team. But, um, you know, beyond that, like, would they entertain a Vladdy tree? You know, I know that that gets tossed around. Like, I. Um, beyond the four guys who were free agents, I think, you know, the rest of the gang is pretty much going to be back and they would just go out of the trade market or free agent market and try to, you know, figure out why they didn't hit as much as they, as they should have this year. So I don't know that anything is at stake more than in a typical year. I don't think the fans are going to, you know, um, drift away from this team in droves. If they get knocked out in two, it'll be horrendously disappointing. Like I'm not trying to pretend otherwise it'll be horrendously disappointing if they get knocked out in two games but i think it, it would be a normal off season and a normal excitement build up to spring training next year no matter what I, I just hope for the fans that they were able to do something here and i don't know what something means you know win around win two whatever just put a good showing out there the fans deserve it I, and i don't just mean the fans who come to the ballpark in toronto i mean folks out where you are folks in newfoundland and and everywhere in between this team has an unbelievably vast and supportive fan base and it's it's for them mostly that i hope these guys can play their best baseball and find a way to win this series speaking of the hitting or lack thereof i suppose how does the coaching staff intend to get the players prepped to hit against minnesota's pitching staff specifically lopez and gray 
I think the same way they prepare for everybody else. They saw them both this year. Now it's a long time ago, but they've seen them both this year. They did pretty well against Lopez. They got four runs in five and two thirds. Um, I know Bichette had a triple and a homer, and I know Biggio did a home run. So, um, you know, the same way the Twins will prepare for guys like Gosman, Barrios, and Bassett, like they're really, really good. Sonny Gray is really good and probably could be the game one starter, but Rocco Baldelli said, it's been Lopez and then Gray all season long, so they're just not going to change it. They think both guys are great, and they want to keep them on their routines. But um, I think you've got to be – you can't give away an at-bat. You can't give away a pitch. Like, they're going to be around the strike zone. They get you to two strikes. It's going to be hard. They're really, really good. So, um, you know, as is all, what I hear is the meetings are always about swing decisions. You know, swing at these pitches, don't swing at right. those. He's trying to do this in this count. He's not tra- – he's trying to do that in that count. I know I know an average Blue Jay fan would think that the Blue Jays swing and miss a ton and chase pitches outside of the strike zone a ton. Nothing could be further from the truth, actually. They're both there. I think they're in the, you know, bottom five or top five, however you want to say it, in terms of chase percentage and strikeouts and that like they just don't. The, the the problem is not that they swing and miss too much or that they chase too much. The problem is they're they're not doing enough on the pitches they are swinging at sometimes. You know, they're hitting ground balls or pop-ups or fouling pitches off when they should be doing damage on those kinds of pitches. Listen, in a short series, as you guys know, like the best team in baseball can play the worst team in baseball and lose in a three-game series in the regular season. It happens all the time. Oakland took two out of three from a bunch of teams. Kansas City took five out of six from Houston in the last couple of weeks. Um, a two out of three series, unfortunately, is not a great indicator of what team is better. It's just a great indicator of what team played better uh, over a very short period of time. So, you know, the Blue Jays' best is very good. We just didn't see it um, often enough this year. But I, I think if they play, I think their best is better than Minnesota's best. Um, so I think if they play to their capabilities, they'll be fine. Because you, what you were talking about, swinging and missing, that's the knock on Minnesota, right? Like they strike out more than anybody at the plate. I, I think it's got to do with the approach of going big game hunting and trying to go yard. But they struck out more than anybody in Major League Baseball this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did. It's a little bit, I think it's a little bit deeper than that. I think they're, I think they take a lot of pitches so they get into deeper counts. Like okay. a team that swings early is going to ground out a lot on the first pitch, right? So um, Minnesota does has struck out more than any team in baseball, but I don't think it's because they're all a bunch of wild free swingers. Got it. Um, and one of the mo- most interesting things to me about this series is how much trouble they gave Kevin Gosman in his two games this year. They just did not chase his splitter. And Edward Julian, who is likely to Same. be their leadoff hitter, Quebec City kid, like he's got the he's got the lowest chase rate in baseball. A rookie who has the lowest chase rate in baseball. Kevin Biggio third, by the way. So I don't know if Minnesota had anything on Gosman or if they just had a great approach and saw the ball out of a ha- out of his hand very well. But to me, the bottom of the first inning might be the most important inning in this series. Um, is how does Gosman do in that first inning against the Twins? You know, even if he doesn't give up any runs, if he walks a couple because they're very patient and he has to throw 29 pitches in the first inning, that's not a good sign. If he mows him down on 11 pitches with a couple of strikeouts, that's a very good sign. So um, uh, Minnesota's good. Again, not a lot of household names. Their two biggest names uh, offensively are Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton. Correa had a bad season and is likely to be on the roster, but he's just coming off an injury. And Buxton was out the last two months and is unlikely to be on the roster. Like, it's guys like uh, Matt Walner and Alex Kiriloff and guys most people have never heard of 
who have actually been their best offensive players. They've got a lot of good left-handed bats in there. One through nine, they're dangerous. They always seem to have guys who can come off the bench and pinch hit. I think this is going to be a very a high chess match kind of series because of all the different moves Rocco Baldelli can make. I think John Schneider is going to have a lot of pitching decisions to make about, you know, do I bring in a lefty here? Will Rocco Baldelli pinch hit? Can I get that guy out of the game so that later on the Blue Jays have the advantage? I think you're going to see a lot of decisions made in this series. I'm curious when you bring up these uh, chase rates stats, how does Vladdy fare in these stats? Like his plate discipline, Um, how is it? Yeah, it's not terrible, uh, and I don't know it off the top of my head, and I don't have that page open on mm. my computer right beside me right no, now. No, I'm putting I you on the spot not. there. What's his chase yeah, rate? that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I can tell you September, I do know, September was by far, by far his lowest chase rate month of this season, his best chase rate month of this season. And maybe not coincidentally, it was his best month other than April, when it's a long time ago, people forget, but he actually got off to a – a really good start. Everything is magnified with Vladdy for reasons yeah. that we all understand because his ceiling is so high. Um, yes, he does chase a little bit more than you would like. Yes, he does hit the ball on the ground a little bit more than you would like, although um, not as much as he did last year, I don't believe. If you look at his, the underlying numbers, the, um, you know, not batting average home runs, RBIs, like, you know, chase rate and hard hit rate and ground ball rate and barrel rate and all that. This should have been Vladdy's second best season. And in some ways it was, but it should have been his second best season, like by a wide margin over the third, fourth and fifth best seasons. And it was like barely his second best season, I think. So um, for some reason, it didn't materialize into the stats that, we all thought you guys may have heard or seen a few weeks ago there was talk about um, you know similar launch angle and similar exit velocity and the ball's just not traveling as far, which kind of defies physics a little bit. And and you know people were wondering is it because it's top spin instead of backspin and why would he be top spinning the ball when he normally backspins the ball? Like obviously this is way beyond my I don't know way beyond my abilities here. So but. Um, Vladdy is such a lightning rod and a focal point because he's supposed to be one of the five best hitters in baseball. And if he was, you know, if he had a 2021 kind of season, which looks like a bit of an outlier now, obviously, but if he had a 2021 kind of season, we're having an entirely different conversation about this team this year, I think. So, you know, the other thing is with the knee and the wrist, is he a hundred percent? I don't think he's a hundred percent healthy, but how much, if at all, is that impacting him? You know, we may find out more after the season, whenever that is. So, but um, I, I agree with you. He's he's got to make good decisions on not chasing. But even more so, I feel that he's not doing damage on pitches that, when he's on, he wallops like he just crushes. But you know, he's missed some hanging breaking balls, and he's been late on the fastball, and it's just seemed a little bit not quite right all season. Do you think they they feed him all those stats? Like, I can't even imagine, you know, trying to take in all that information. And sometimes I wonder if he's got too much information and he's just a little bit like, I don't know what to swing at anymore. Yeah, it's possible. I I don't know the answer to that. Um, You know, we're not, obviously, we're not in the meetings. And obviously, that's kind of proprietary stuff that the team only shares, you know, to a, a certain extent, if at all. I mean, I've heard that, the big focal point on the meeting day after day after day is swing decisions is no is swing at the right pitches. Um, I think a guy like Bo Bichette kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer because he's so, so different 
than literally every other hitter I've ever seen in my life. And he's he's had success, right? He's I think the best version of Bo is Bo going up there and just being Bo. So, um, you know, you can't make Bo into Belt and you can't make Belt into Bo. And these guys are all different. And that's why I do hope that they do kind of treat them all a little bit differently. It's just like in school. You can't teach 25 kids the same way in a class. Everybody learns um, a little bit differently. So I, I don't know if they get – I think it's um, a little bit particular to each person. Like I on the pitching side, I bet you a Chris Bassett and a Kevin Gosman, I bet you they want every bit of information they can get, yeah. literally every mm-hmm. bit of information they can get. I don't know if Vladdy's like that. I, I doubt he wants quite that much. Um, you know, the other thing about Vladdy is – coming up through the minors, he never went through this, right? He never, he always was the best hitter where, wherever he was, but it's gotten harder for him. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's a good question. It's beyond really what I'm, you know, capable of answering with any degree <laughs> of accuracy, but um, you know, hopefully on the road and if he has a good first at bat, I, I'm a, I don't want to make too much out of the first inning tonight, but the blue Jays right. were not a good first inning team this year got outscored by like 30 runs or something in the first inning and then outscored the opposition by like 105 runs from the second inning on. So, you know, if they can put one or two on the board in the first and if Gosman can have a uh, stress-free quick bottom of the first, I think that's a, a very good omen for this series. It's the Jays and the Twins. It gets underway at 1.38 our time today. Should be a lot of fun. Dan, thank you very much for doing this on game day and enjoy the day. It should be a lot of fun. Should be. Thank you. That's Dan Shulman, the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. A reminder, you can hear everything you need to hear. Dan, everything. Right here on Sportsnet 650, beginning at 1 o'clock. Our coverage begins at 1 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. So I find all that stuff fascinating with all the information that is available in all sports now, but especially a game like baseball where you've got, you know, like chase rate, um, you know, like some of the, the, like, what was he saying? Like a barrel rate? I don't, I don't even know what that is. Something about a barrel? Barrel rate. I, I, like, do you know what that is? It's a certain exit velocity that the ball reaches. Right. You can, can you call it a barrel. It means you hit it well, basically. Yeah. Can you imagine? You're just like, your barrel rate isn't where we want it to be like, okay. Like, it, it, honestly, like, and I, and I, and, I, and I, you know, actually, oddly enough, while well, we try and cram some Canucks talk out of that Blue Jay segment, mm-hmm. when I watch a guy like Pod Colson, I'm wondering if he's got too much information going on in his head. Possibly. Right? Talking about his barrel rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's Excellent. like, what? You know what I mean? Like when you when you get up there and and you've got all the stuff going on in your head, and you've got to make split second decisions. Right. Like obviously, as a as a baseball hitter, you got to make split second decisions, and then as a hockey player, especially when you've got a guy like Rick Tockett that comes in and he says, "Yeah, we're going to be preaching the details. We're going to be preaching structure. Um, we're going to be preaching, you know, how well do you read the play?" And you know, and then Pod Colson's like what twenty two years old, English isn't his first language. He's probably not sleeping that much. He's got a baby at home. Yeah. He's like, uh, this is too much information for me. I used to just play hockey. Like, I, I remember uh, when Ken Griffey Jr. was first starting in Seattle, and, you know, everyone was saying, oh, the kid's a natural. And he was, right? And he would be like, uh, what's your approach at the plate? He's like, uh, is the pitcher left-handed? Like, right. I mean, that's that's like, I don't know, lefty already? Like, Vladdy Guerrero's father, famously. No skill pre-scout on pitchers. would just go yeah. up there and just He's hit. just on instinct, yep. right? And, you know, sometimes, like, I'm not saying that 
coaches shouldn't coach and coaches shouldn't talk about details, but it can be very challenging when you're trying to coach a player that has mostly gone on instincts mm-hmm. um, to change. Because in, in some ways you're trying to change the instincts, right? right. Well, like you said, they, d- they didn't do that with Bo Bichette. Mm-hmm. Like they understood that analytics to be damned, you know, the best analytic is Bo Bichette being Bo Bichette, just going up and kind of approaching at yeah. bats and pitch selection the way they want because he's made it. And that's the other thing. So you've made it to this level largely by trusting yourself, mm-hmm. trusting your instincts because your instincts have largely been good. You're a well-paid <laughs> yeah. professional athlete. So to start doubting that, that's where it comes in. Because it's, ba- it's not an information yeah. overload sometimes. It's like, well, wait a minute. The, the the numbers of the coaching staff is telling me to do something that's almost the polar opposite of what I'm extinctually going to do. That's weird. And then it becomes a crisis of confidence. Because every at-bat is almost like a poker game that you're playing with the pitcher, right? Yeah. I mean, it, the, the funny thing is, is they talk about, well, there's all these stats for... Uh, hitters with exit velocity and barrel rate. Well, the same th- applies for pitchers. Yeah. Then it just becomes this chess match of analytics where you're trying to match up, and every pitch becomes. I mean, that's why the sport got bogged down in in a lar- large part, right? That's why they had to implement something like the pitch clock because these at bats were getting grinded down to every singular spin rate and pitch and throwing over to first base to throw off the timing. Like they understood that the analytics the unintended consequences of it was playing out. And so they made a change. It reminds me of the, in major league when they had uh, Serrano, he's like, I cannot hit the curveball. I hit straight ball. I hit very much. Yeah. That's right? like, those were analytics. <laughs> those were Serrano analytics. Got it. Uh, we got an open segment on the other side. So texting in any comments or questions you've got on the blue Jays game today on the Canucks and their conundrum with their defense by committee. Uh, text them into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650 Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Lanner on Bridge Street Dunbar Lumber Express at Lanner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com we can also look back at last night's Seahawks game an absolute destruction of the New York Giants it's funny for me that game started out obviously I'm focused on the Seahawks at the end I was all about focusing on the New York Giants and what a disaster that was for uh, the New York Giants last night. Maybe that's the type of guy I am. I love a disaster. You have an appetite for destruction? Okay, I see what you're doing there. Hey, everyone. We're giving away Guns N' Roses tickets, too. Best what we learned today. And it's not a ticket emoji in the text. Mm-hmm. It's a rose emoji. Okay, right? yeah. Rose so just emoji. remember that. Hashtag it WWL and put a rose emoji in the text. The best what we learned, I'll get a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses on October 16th. Courtesy of the Alfred and Bruff Show. So all of you out there in Paradise City, keep listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-four on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Okay. Alfred Brough, Sportsnet six fifty. 
Basketball fan. How old are you again? I just turned 25 a couple weeks ago. What year were you born in? 1998. Oh, my God. I graduated UBC in 98. So do you have any idea no. what... <laughs> Damn. What that reference was? No. You don't know the movie? Because the, no. no. the mask came out four years. Well, here's a question. Four years before Ben was born. What does Guns N' Roses mean to you as a band? I know of them. Okay, good. So like, oh, man. That's something. No, of them? Like, I know of Mozart. Yeah. You before said my that. time. You said that like you thought the band was comprised of Guns and Roses. Yeah. Like either their surnames were Guns. No, no, no. no. Like I know of the band. But you know, like, but you like, like if Welcome to the Jungle plays, do you know that's Guns N' Roses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know who the I'm league? not going, I mean, I might go October 16th, but it's probably not on. Right. Did you enter the contest? Don't do that, by the way. We have rules. I don't think we're allowed. Employees. I didn't do that. Do you know who the lead singer of Guns N' Roses is? Should I what we learned? No, don't do that either. <laughs> do you know who the lead singer? <laughs> and the winner is. Do you know who the lead singer of Guns N' Roses is? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Okay. Mm. This is tough. Put right. me on the spot right now. Can you name one, one band member? No. Okay. You know, you actually, if you said Rose, yeah, you would have got it right because the lead singer Did is Did you Axel play Guitar Rose. Hero by any yeah. chance? No. What? This is really hard right now. Yeah. That's fine. I'm That's a fine. sports yeah. guy. Yeah, I know. That's I know. why I work here. Yeah, I know. This is great. Someone texted, Ben, you uncultured bum. My 10-year-old <laughs> nephew knows the mask. I don't think we should be correlating cultured Tough. with the mask. Yeah, that's not, not the, the route to go. Ask me a sports question. No, this, this text was, I just wanted to read it. Uncultured bum is a good line, right? But then he followed it up with the mask being the cultural bar. It wasn't even a really a great movie. So the reason that it comes up on our show from time to time, this is how far afield we go, is there's a chain of restaurants in the U.S. based on the Forrest Gump movie, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company or Factory or whatever. So I went down the rabbit hole one day, and I'm like, just think about, like, imagine when you're not thinking long term, when you attach yourself to a dated pop culture reference, like, a movie made in 1994, mm, right. and then you turn that into a restaurant that lives on beyond time, right? Like, the right. movie's old now. It's not exactly in the cultural fabric. I mean, I guess some of the lines are. But anyway, so then I went, I'm like, what other movies came out that year? And there was The Mask. Well, actually, you know what? We should ask Basketball Ben. What? Um, do you recognize that the Toronto Raptors are only named the Raptors because Jurassic Park introduced us all to... The Raptor. Yes. Okay. I got that part. Yeah. Like, I, I remember when they announced I, that I name, I was like, that's a ridiculous name. Like, this, dude, who knew what a Raptor was before Jurassic Park? I didn't Right? Know. We were yeah. like, it's like a type like, of bird. Yeah. But no, yeah. but like, who were the, 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 the dinosaurs, the big ones? Were T like, you, you knew about T Rex, you knew about the Brontosaurus, Stegosaurus, uh, Yeah, you might have known the, the Triceratops. Was that one? Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. You, there was always like, oh, I'm the flying guy, Pterodactyl. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but you didn't know about a raptor. We learned about that. It's true. From Jurassic Park. And then the raptors, well, Lost Toronto was like, we're like, we're the raptors. And then they told that to be, turned out to be wildly wrong about what raptors actually look like. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they have feathers and they're, they're not anything like what they look like in the movie. Jurassic just like a chicken. They just we, found the bones, right? They didn't know what the out exterior of It was a weird time in the 90s with the, the raptor thing and then the mighty ducks, right? Like we just, we really. Hey, grizzlies made sense. Yep. That was cool. Yeah, that was. And it's, it's Less very. Less so for Memphis. It's very, yeah. It's a little, <laughs> it's a weird fit now. Um, and then the gear becoming popular again because i remember when the grizzlies launched the number one complaint was the gear 
the gear was hideous and ghastly, and the Pacific trim, like nobody liked it. Really? At the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their gear was widely regarded as some of the worst in sports. And now it's like. Well, now it's got the kitsch and nostalgia factor added, but it does look cool. It looks really cool. Yeah, but at the time, no, their gear was considered really bad. As I take you back, well, Hokey nineties is yeah, kind I know, of back I know, in style. I know, right? The nineties yeah. flares. I, mean, I was three years old. When I know we exactly. Left. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm instilling the the wisdom of the time. But well, now, when Memphis wears those jerseys, like the teal jerseys, yeah. everyone's like, "This is the coolest thing ever." Right. When they wear them, does it say Vancouver on it? It says Memphis. It says yeah. Memphis. I, didn't they wear one that said Vancouver and everyone lost their mind? I feel like they did. I don't know. That could be fake news. <laughs> it's so hard to tell these days. Okay. Uh, let's Just because you got duped by the hat, you're still reeling. This And this all started with the conversation about the mask. I will let you know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. Halford and Brown for the morning. Brought to you by Delari, the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. You- our Go ahead. Oh. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Yes, Jason? Sometimes when, when a show needs like a, a kick in the butt, and I feel like this segment needs a kick in the butt, okay. we go straight to the house of negativity. Okay. But it's, it's not us this time. It's Cole in Calgary okay. who texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line and says, I think the Canucks are cooked as presently constructed. None of the young guys took a step or showed real promise. Silovs, Podkolzin, Ratu, all AHL bound. I'm fading playoff hopes hard unless we make an acquisition. Well, Cole, I don't think it's going to be a big acquisition. We'll see if they go to the waiver wire for something. Um, I have to admit, when I watched the first period of the Oilers game on Saturday, in my head, I knew it was the preseason um, but I was watching the team play and going like, man, if this is the best they can come up with for like a game that they've put their full lineup together and everyone knows how seriously they're taking the preseason, um, if this is the best they can come up with, like this team is done now. How long did you hold that thought? Well, it was kind of like the Seahawks. Not long. It, it was like the Seahawks Rams game, right? Overreaction. When I, when, I get it. Yeah. I overreacted. Mm-hmm. It was actually funny because I was I, I went with my girlfriend and it was kind of like our anniversary and I was like ripping the Canucks like just going like if this team like this team has no rhyme or reason to it and she's like don't forget it's our anniversary <laughs> and I'm Classic. like welcome yeah. to the sad club baby yeah I was like oh yeah yeah right I'm having a good time I'm having a good time anyway the Canucks figured it out eventually during that game and you know they struck on the power play a couple times Quinn Hughes played really well so at the end of it I was kind of like all right that was that was fine but I just think they need to reach a a much higher level you know that that's not a hot take I, I know but I guess I just haven't seen them I guess I just I'm skeptical that they can reach the level that they need to and do it consistently because I still I see yeah. this team and I'm still kind of like they're still really trying to figure it out work work it out like I still don't know and I know it's still the preseason but I don't know what their identity is I don't know what they are fringe, what do you think pl- their ceiling play- is fringe playoff Rough. team I don't like know why if, everyone if, has such a hard time figuring if everything this out. works out and they do figure out an identity and things mm. happen what is the ceiling of the team fringe playoff team right now. Really? Yeah. And I don't like everyone seems to have this like really unrealistic expectation that they're built as an elite 
or they're built to they, if they get into the playoffs, their goal is to get a favorable matchup and get on a heater. Mm-hmm. I don't think like, this is and you can agree or disagree with the theory, but my assessment, I know I'm right. They are they're Calgary, Winnipeg, or Nashville from last year, right on the fringes of the playoffs. Flawed team, not perfect, but they're gonna try and work their way in. Now, does it work very often? No. The majority of those teams do tend to get bounced early in the playoffs. But, but, I, but there, there are there are outliers and anomalies where a team makes a run. And then I know what the organizational hope is. We get in the playoffs and we get experience and we build from there. And mm-hmm. guys get a year older and a year wiser and a year stronger. And then and I'm like, okay. And I'm I'm almost tired of trying to like consistently bang my head against the wall about the overall philosophical approach because it's been like eight or nine years. Yeah. So I accept fate and reality and you move forward with it right like when you bring up your frustration level with um them not having a complete blue line my answer is yeah that's that's what they are okay but i want to talk a little bit about that because you know rick talkett is spinning it yesterday as um you know we'll be defense by committee and i'm kind of like you know my memory is going a little hazy of those good canucks teams of a decade ago But the one thing that they did was, like, they would win in a clinical way. Like, they had a way of winning. They would get the lead, and then they would hold the lead, Mm -hmm. right? And you, they were up. They were, you know how Rick Tockett talks about predictable in a good way? Like, we need to play a little more predictable. That Canucks team, and I think the best teams in the NHL, play predictable. And one of the things that they had was... Yeah, they juggled the lines a little bit. I I know it wasn't always like the same guys out there in the same positions, but like they had defined roles on that team, right? Mm-hmm. Like you knew that, for example, every time the Canucks were killing a penalty, Manny Malholcher was going to come out there and probably win a draw, right? Like it was that sort of thing. And they had defined defensive pairs. Like it was going to be Edler and Erhoff together. Uh, Ham, Houston, Bieksa were going to be the shutdown pair, right? Now, there were injuries that threw wrenches into that. And, you know, Sammy Salo had a role there too. I'm not saying it was like always the same thing, but they had a clinical way that they approached things. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the Canucks have a long way to go before we see them. Like, like when you're comfortable and you know what to expect from the team. Right, right? But that, I, okay, and, that, that, and that's what I'm talking about with that game on Saturday, right? I'm like, I don't know what to expect from this team. They came out, looked like garbage, frankly. And then with their individual talents, they were able to beat a team that didn't have McDavid and Drysaddle. Mm-hmm. And I'm right. just waiting for the team to come together and for me to like watch a game and be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this is what the Canucks do. There should be a certain part of you that realizes that it might not happen, especially when used with the... The umbrella of 20, like that team in 2011 won 55, 54 games, had close to 120 points and came within one win of the Stanley Cup. So you're talking about a team that was the best team clearly in the regular season, almost the best team in the playoffs. By and large, that is one of the most elite teams in the NHL over the last decade that didn't win a cup. Asterisk, right? Sure, They're not that. They don't have clearly defined roles or a seasoned group that understands what they need to do on a night-after-night basis. They're not that. They are going to be a 93-95 to point team with the brackets Mm -hmm. if everything goes right. Can they get there, though? Can they get there? 
because they, because well, the Canucks, have to pull I mean, a bunch of rabbits that, out of that, that, that team, that team that we talk about was built over a number of years. Yes. Like when Roberto Luongo came to the Canucks, they weren't a very good team. You just held them in it. Mm-hmm. And then they missed the playoffs the next year. Mm-hmm. Like they, there was progress and they had to be built. And there were veteran departures from that team. And then, you know, the Sedins took over and then Ryan Kessler developed. So they had that first line center in Henrik and the second line center in Kessler. Mm-hmm. They made some pretty major decisions on the blue line. Like they let Willie Mitchell walk. They brought in Dan Hamhus. Uh, guys like Kevin Bieksa developed. Edler developed. They made some good free agent signings, bringing in guys like Michael Samuelson and Manny Maholtra. Were there mistakes along the way? Sure. But most of the decisions supported what they were trying to do, and we could all see what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'm still having a little bit of trouble trying to figure out what kind of team they want to be. And I think that's because like, they still don't have an identity. And I realize that they've handed over the leadership group to the likes of Quinn Hughes and JT Miller and Elias Pettersson, and a lot's going to be on them to determine what type of team they are. I guess I'm just skeptical that I look at this group and see that they're going to be able to make those progressive steps. Well, okay. Well, I'll tell you exactly what they're trying to do, and this is where you're going to run into the biggest set of problems moving forward if this thing fails, is they had a group of guys, and let's be real, the, the team is now built around Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, right? And Miller, yes. Well, but, Miller, too. Yeah, he signed long-term, okay, so but, they're built around But him. three to four pieces. You accumulated the pieces, and then you went out and got a coach to implement a style of play on them. It's not the other way around. It's not like you saw what you had yeah. and then said, oh, let's try and tailor our game towards these guys' strengths. You have good individual pieces, and then you have Tockett come in, and I mean, I'll be dead honest, the style of play I expect this year is super low event, shot totals 25-27 every night, a one-goal game, and then, like you said, let your individual talents take over on special teams and then maybe moments of brilliance one-on-one or whatever. Mm. That was what I would say their identity will be. The question is going to be, do they have enough guys that can do the dirty work and the wall battles and the board battles that Tockett wants them to win all the time? that allows the individual talent to shine through at the end of the day. Can you grind someone down lines two through four so your top-line guys can make a difference in the end? Because they do have high-end talent. Pedersen's high-end talent. Mm -hmm. Hughes is high-end talent. If Hughes takes his game to another level this year, which is scary to think about. But it just, it hasn't, it hasn't meshed yet. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but do you see it meshing it? <laughs> where you're kind of like, like talk it sitting there going like, we're going to be a defense by committee. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work. The blue line's better than last year's just on paper, because I think Cole on and paper, Susie, sure. Cole and Susie make them better than, and let's be a time. Like last year, they played 17 blue liners. Like there was way too many guys. <laughs> Everyone got a turn. Right. And it was like, well, this is a, this is a way to figure out who you want and don't want on the team, but it's, it's not great long-term. So I think the blue line will be better. The it, but here's the thing when I go back to what Rutherford said, like everything needs to go right. You know, what didn't go right for them clearly was the Ethan bear situation that didn't go right. And that's a problem. All due respect to Ethan bear, but when Ethan bear, can maybe upset the apple cart and ruin your plan. Like yeah. you're not built. You're not an elite team. You're you're kind of like I said. You're an above average team that if everything goes right, you can be in the playoffs. So there's this there's this moment in time that sticks out to me about that 
again, the 2011 team that apparently we're trying to reconstruct. Um, but that's the bar that we have in our minds for a good team. There's this moment of time, and I, it's probably in 2009 or 2010. And I was at a Canucks game, and I ran into a friend of mine that I hadn't seen since high school. And he was, you know, he knew that I was, you know, working in sports media for a living. And he asked me, like, what do you think of their chances? Like, do you think? And I, and I remember my answer to him was like, yeah, man, they're a good team. Mm -hmm. Like, they could win it. They're a good team. So for all the people that are just like, you guys are constantly negative. You'd never admit, like, even if the Canucks won the Stanley Cup, you'd have something to complain about. Like, I think back on that moment when I was kind of like, you know, like, you objectively looked at the information and said, yeah, they're good. Like, they've got a legit chance. They've got everything. They're good offensively. They're good defensively. Great special teams. The goaltending works. I like their head coach. They've got a chance here. You know, is it going to be hard to win? Yeah. Could something happen? Yeah, of course it could. But you objectively look at the team and go, yeah, they're way better than a lot of teams in the NHL. Mm -hmm. That was 2011 in a nutshell. They were way better than the majority of the NHL. Yeah. But I just see so many, like, I just see, the like, the words that come to mind are mishmash. Like, I just don't know how all the pieces fit together. Well, that's with Tockett and right? Footer. He's trying to fit them together. And, I, and imagine and they're looking at that blue line and going, like, God, like, who do we put with Hughes? Like, there is no... Oh, forget a perfect fit. There's not even like a good fit. I will say this: I do like that. And call it spin, or however you want to classify it. But I do like the idea of, hey, you know what? We got a problem. We're going to come up with a solution. We're not going to throw it out there as like, oh, there's, you know. So the, the problem is, is they don't have an ideal situation in terms of, especially the top pair. Mm. Instead of like bemoaning that, the solution is we'll figure it out. We got footy or footer. What is Adam Foot? Is he a footy or a footer? I don't know if he's a footy. I think he's a footy. I think he's a footy. I think he's a footy. Footy and gotch. Footy's going to figure it out. That's what he's here for. That's why we brought him in. So, you know, we're, they're a solutions. They're a solutions group. They're not a problems group. Mm -hmm. They're a solutions group. That was one of the lines from Fire Festival, by the way, that documentary. Oh, really? Was anytime someone oh, brought God, up. I hope it turns out better than that. Anytime <laughs> someone brought up a problem, the guy would say in the meetings, he's like, look. You're focusing on the negatives. We're a solutions group here. And I was like, but you're not solving the problems. You have yeah. to identify the problems before you can come up with the solutions. But that's the way a lot of modern minds think. Yeah, and like, and like you and I aren't sitting there like ripping Rick Tocca for trying to come up with a solution. Maybe defense by committee is the best thing that they can do with this group. Yeah. But, but, I, but even a, if yeah. that works, is it going to, is it even, like, even if that works, is it going to work? Yeah, but that's but and that's an approach, right? Is you just keep you say we're gonna stay the course and stay positive, and we're not gonna focus on the negatives, and we're gonna move forward, right? Even though the yeah. island isn't built yet, and we have people coming in forty eight hours to stay in these tents. I just move forward. I just want everyone to know how badly we want it to work. <laughs> the, you, you, again, I, I know I've said this like a few times, but like people are like the media wants it to be bad. The media does not want it to be bad. And I, I always retort, like, we can be negative about a good team. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. we, if we want to be negative, we can be negative about a good team. Like, it's been way too long of you get to November and you're like, oh, boy. Like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. Well, do you know how sick I am of being like, all right, who's in the draft? 
right? Yeah, I don't need a draft coverage. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm who's good in the draft? draft coverage. What are we going to trade away at the deadline, right? Mm-hmm. Games that matter in in April. Games that matter, man. Like yeah. you know, and and it's funny. A lot of people will push back and say like. I, I won't even be like happy if they make it to the playoffs because I I know that they won't even have they won't even have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. I'm like, give me a playoff game, man. I need it. I need to break down a playoff series. I need to look at the other team and go, all right, what are the strengths and weaknesses? Like Blue Jays fans are doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, okay, how do we stack up against the Minnesota Twins? Yeah, you start thinking about a team that like you get to know very well. This other team that you haven't really paid attention to all season. Right, like you know all their lines. Yeah, how dialed like, in you know are you on the Twins? Do you know how fun that right is? It's so good. That feeling, that feeling of, of uh, oh, there's a playoff game tonight. You know, and and I will. I don't know if it's Stockholm syndrome or whatever. I am all in on like getting to the playoffs. Like, and I don't care if the Canucks go in as the number eight seed. Like, what I think doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't influence the philosophy of the hockey team, right? I might know in the back of my mind, like, okay, they got no chance of winning the Stanley Cup. I just want anything at this point. Well, so do they. I right? think that's why they've well, gone all the season so. like, the way that they Because have. here's another thing. Like, I wonder if they have enough killers mentally on this team. Like, do they have enough guys that, you know, everyone talks about the Sedins like, oh, they were so nice. They were such nice guys. Guys, they were so competitive. Like, they demanded the best from themselves. And by setting the example that they did, working so hard, Everyone else fell into line, and they had great loyal uh, like lieutenants, like they had you know Bieksa and Burroughs and Kessler that were they were all on the same page, and so when leadership said something, it was carried out. Mm-hmm. Right, the orders were carried out. That's going to be the challenge for guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and J.T. Miller. Are these guys killers? Are they winners? Right, like Nathan McKinnon, that guy is a killer. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, they're sure talking like it, right? They they are just like there is nothing acceptable except a Stanley Cup. Yeah, and the players know it. Demko said less than a week ago, it's a do or die season for this group. So it's you know it's all on the table, and they all understand what's at stake. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Brush Show, what's on the table for the final hour? Brendan Bachelor is going to join us at 8 o'clock, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Then at 8.30, we're going to do what we learned, and we're going to give away a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses at Rogers Arena on October 16th. To win the tickets, you need to text in a what we learned, hashtag it WWL, let us know what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports, put a rose emoji, yes, a rose emoji, into the text. You'll be entered into the grand prize draw. For a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses at Rogers Arena on October 16th. One final hour to come. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.